Hi, I'm Tara. And I'm Steph. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors. And our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With Kobo Writing Life, authors can now publish audiobooks and ebooks right in their KWL account. We don't ask for exclusivity and you'll always control your pricing in up to 16 currencies. You can also create a pre-order for your audio and ebooks with no date limitations. We have a lot of great promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors available in the promotions tab right in their KWL dashboard. If you're an author and you don't have access to the promotions or audiobooks tab, email us at writinglife@kobo.com and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing excellent support. Create your free account today at kobo.com/writinglife. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. Happy writing! Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business: editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author JD Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writers Inc. Zach, tornado update. What do we got? <laughs> Sunny. Sunny. <laughs> I, I don't know if we're gonna have any tornadoes or not. So I, th- I think we're I think we're good. You were supposed to though, right? Yeah, yeah. So what Jay is referring to very randomly is that we had to push a recording back a few hours because my daughter's school district decided to make everyone come pick their kids up two hours early, and when because of severe thunderstorms and potential tornadoes, and I sat in the line to pick her up with the sun out, and it hasn't done anything. So it still could, I guess, but... Hey, technically, sunny skies could potentially turn into tornadoes. Yeah, I mean, if my kid and if my kid was a vampire, I guess it'd be a good reason to get him out of school, too. So, <laughs> but... But yeah, I don't, I don't know. It is what it is. So, but we're here and we're a little later than normal. So, but it's okay. So do you have a shelter in your, your backyard? Do you like open up the barn doors and climb down to the ground and, and hide from it all? Or no, none of that. No, it's not that bad here. (laughs) (laughs) But like I was saying off air, I mean, we did get a bad tornado last year that, uh, tore up like our, the Germantown neighborhood in East Nashville, really, really bad. It was crazy because it happened like two weeks before the lockdown. So all these people were going through losing their businesses, losing their homes. And all of a sudden we had the coronavirus hit and it was just like that on top of all the stuff that was going around here. So it was just, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. They're, so they're luckily, no joke. I, I remember from when I was a kid in Illinois, I, my mom grabbed us one, at one point and like threw us into the bathtub. And like, that was the only yeah. warning we got. And I remember it getting ridiculously loud, like a train going over the house. That's exactly um, what it sounds like as a freight train. Yeah. And then, yeah. then, you know, a couple minutes later it was all over and we had a tree in our living room. Um, and like, and our, our house was in a forest and like right across the street, it was all cornfields, like nothing but corn farms. And you could see the track that it took like through those farms and it just cut a, a nasty path, like right down the middle and destroyed whatever was, you know, like directly in front of it. And, you know, a couple feet off to the side, it, it everything looked perfectly fine. And, 
And then we moved to Florida because hurricanes are so much better than, than tornadoes. <laughs> <laughs> my, my dad's reasoning was you get, you get a warning. They tell you on TV before it's going to hit, which I guess is true, but you know, five or six hours of straight nasty wind is, isn't a whole lot better to me than, than that was. So. No, I, I, the, it's, it's definitely a different deal. I mean, I was in Katrina, so that was pretty crazy. And then, <clears throat> you know, tornadoes are weird. We had the, a big flood here several years ago in Nashville that completely tore up the city. So I don't know. I, I've been through a little bit of it all, I guess. Crazy weather. There's, there's no, there's no place in this world where you can hide. Like every place you go, they've got something weird like that, that you've got to put up with. Apparently. So <laughs> it makes me feel guilty about uh, complaining of lake effect snow when I hear these kinds of stories. Yeah, well, you're in Ohio. That's probably one of the few places that is untouched. Like, even God doesn't care about Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, well, we'll skip that place. It's bad enough. They've, they've I was going to say, you were rough. saying, everywhere has somewhere you have to deal with. He just has Ohio. Yeah, he's, he's just in Ohio. <laughs> so, uh, nice shout out to all of our Ohio listeners. Uh, we love you. <laughs> it's a beautiful oh, nice. place. I, it is. I have nothing. <laughs> I actually... Cleveland, when I finally got to go up there, you, you know, a couple years ago, actually kind of surprised. It was a really cool city. So yeah, Rock yeah, and Roll yeah. Hall of Fame, man. It's not that yeah. bad. I'm not from here, and so I'm <laughs> I'm pretty objective. Like, yeah, it's it's not bad. It's not bad. If it weren't for the snow, it would be a whole lot better. Uh, <laughs> nice. We get a couple uh, a couple announcements to kind of go through, and then we're going to kick it into our our uh, topic episode today. So. I uh, wanted to mention two things. If you're playing the Jay Thorne podcast drinking game, uh, bottoms up, take another <laughs> shot. Uh, Chris Kane and I started the Author Success Mastermind podcast, link in the show notes. Uh, it's basically just a simple uh, question and answer format, much like I did with Rachel on the writer as well. And it's tailored to um, the people who are inside the mastermind community, but the questions and answers are really applicable to, to any writer at any point. So if you're interested, check out that podcast. We just started it, got uh, five or six episodes up and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it. Also, we want to give a shout out uh, or a mention, I should say, to Google Play Books, one of our sponsors for the Career Author Summit coming up this fall. Uh, we got a message from Sabrina and she said that um, publishers are no longer required to upload a spreadsheet to activate a promotional price. Uh, instead, publishers can easily create a new campaign in their promotions tab by selecting the promotions, date, range, titles, and prices. The full uh, text of that update will be in the show notes. Uh, might you, you know it, it might not seem like a, a a big deal, but I think what's what's cool about this is that Google Play Books continues to develop both their author and their reader side. And I think that is good news for the industry. That that's good news for everyone. And so I am. Uh, 100% behind all of uh, the Zon's competitors who are upping their game and, and really trying to help authors out. So uh, I know it was a little clunky to upload a spreadsheet in order to set a promotion on Google Play Books, but you don't have to do that now. Yeah, and I mean, they're doing, you know, I remember Jay and we were, I don't remember where we were, but we were in an Airbnb together somewhere. We initially had a phone conversation with Sabrina and she was saying, you know, they had a lot of big plans. They're going to make a lot of improvements and she has stuck to that word. They keep you know, doing a lot of stuff there. So I'm excited to see what Google play books, you know, how they continue to iterate on that. Yeah. I'm thrilled to see it. I, we, we really need some competition out there and, and Google is one of those monsters that can really, really bring the, the game and, and take Amazon, you know, at, at least wake them up a little bit and make them realize they're, they're not the only player. Um, which brings up something that I was, I was trying to figure out before we jumped on the call. Have you guys ever done a, a prime reading deal with Amazon? 
where they put your book and then they make it available to prime readers. Oh, uh, you did. Oh, you did. That's right. Yeah, that's. Oh, we did. We had Final Awakening. We had Final there, Awakening. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I've got one right now for she has a broken thing where her heart should be. It started a couple of days ago and it goes for like a month. Like, do they pay us for that? I was trying to figure out. Like, is I don't it, think so. So they it's did initially. A, initially, you got. There Five was like grand. a huge upfront co- that they would pay like you straight advance. up or whatever, yeah. and then it changed a lot. It wasn't yeah, even saw, huge; it was like a few thousand bucks or something. Yeah, it was five thousand dollars, and they they just cut you a check. Um, yeah. But that that was like the only I, I tried to research it, and I you know it was like after they put me in the promotion, and you know I just assumed that it was similar to like Kindle Unlimited, where you just got page reads or you got something. But from what I can tell, like I'm literally just giving my book away, which probably isn't a good idea. I mean, I imagine it expands the audience because it's putting it in front of in front of people. But you know, when you give something away, that you know those people, as far as I'm concerned, that's you know they expect to get the next one for free too. So I don't know that it's that beneficial. I think in your it instance, didn't... it's not very beneficial no, because it it's did a move standalone book, us. but. I mean, I have friends who've had first in series of like a six, seven, eight, nine book series, and then the rest of the series isn't in prime reading. So people do then have to buy it or borrow it in Kindle Unlimited or whatever. So um, I think there are instances where it is good, but um, maybe not with a standalone necessarily. Yeah. yeah, check back, I guess, in another month and we'll see We'll see what it did. I mean, it definitely helps the ranking and things along those lines. So, yeah. so we'll see. Um, I've got a new project um, possibly in, in the works with Patterson. We, we were brainstorming the other day and we came up with something. Um, we're looking for anybody that's had a, a haunted experience. So either some type of ghost experience, paranormal, saw something, heard something, whether it happened to them, happened to a friend, a childhood story they heard, any, anything along Along those lines uh, I can't go into the specifics um, but you know it's a James Patterson book so it should be pretty big if, if we de- decide to pursue it um, if anybody has any of those and, and is willing to talk about it um, there's a link on my website just go to jdbarker.com and click on the word haunted uh, and you just fill out a little form and that'll put you in the queue to, to um, get interviewed and then we'll you know, I can give you a little bit more details at that point as far as what's going on with it but um, I've already done a few of these and there, there's some crazy stories out there so I'm, oh, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun everybody always prefaces they start off with, you know, I don't necessarily believe in this stuff, but this happened to me, and and then, then usually some crazy tale right after that, and everybody seems to have one. My wife will be chomping at the bit when I tell her about that. <laughs> She's way into that stuff and has some pretty crazy stories. Is yeah, it a you know, uh, fiction or nonfiction project, or can you even say at this point? It, it's nonfiction, um, and it kind of came. He's got a book out there right now called "A Walk in My Combat Boots," which is yeah. it, it's been on the, the bestseller list for I'm guessing about a month or five weeks or something now. Um, it's a really good read, and it, it's two or three pages, you know, very short stories of you know firsthand accounts of things that happened to soldiers over in Afghanistan and Iraq, um, and it's just it, it's so intense because every story is true. Um, so we're basically fishing for that same thing, but from a, you know, we're looking for, you know, I'm, I'm his go-to guy when it comes to scary and spooky. So, you know, we're, we're looking for actual real scary, you know, scary stories, things that happen to people. And, and there's, there's some pretty wild tales out there. Um, the technology has really surprised me because, you know, I used to interview people all the time back in the day. I, I, I had a newspaper column that got syndicated called Revealed, where I, I did a lot of these types of things back in the 90s. Um, and, you know, I had to tape record everybody, and then I had to transcribe it by hand, and, you know, then I would have to write it up into an interview. Um, this is nuts. Like, I'm literally, I, I interview everybody on Zoom, you know, record it with Zoom. There's a website that I upload the file to, and within like 30 minutes, I've got a transcription of the file, and it's, I, I haven't seen any errors in them. I don't, I don't know, you know, what kind of monkey they've got on the other side of this machine running it but um they're very efficient um so yeah so i'm having fun doing that um i'm watching a lot of movies lately because we finally got the the home theater going have you guys seen justice league yet the new one the Zack snyder recut? I, 
I, I turned this on and I've been looking forward to this for a while because you know he was originally brought in to, to direct this thing and he pulled out of the project for whatever reason. I don't think they ever actually explained why, but then Joss Whedon stepped in, um, did his thing. And it, it was an okay movie if you like superhero movies, but you know, it, it wasn't as good as what, you know, a lot of people felt Zack Snyder was going to do. So this thing cost, you know, I was trying to figure this out before we got on the call and I, I think they spent somewhere of three, around $300 million for this movie. Um, it needed to make 600 something, um, in order to break even. And it came up short. So I think it was in the hole about 80 million or something after release. Um, at least on the last story that I could find about it. Um, they gave Zack Snyder another 80 million to go back in and recut it and basically create his vision of, of this movie. So I got excited and figured, okay, this is going to be good. It finally, had, you know, good superhero movie. I turn it on and the thing is in a four, three aspect ratio. Yeah. Like, I saw an what? article. Ex- I saw an yeah. article explaining that too. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly what this is. By the way, he left the project because his daughter committed suicide. Oh, that, okay. that's why that's why he'd originally left. All right. Um, and yeah, then they I, brought Josh Whedon in, which I'm sure they loved. No, yeah, well, I'm I mean, they're, they're both very talented guys. You know, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I just I'm, I was trying to understand the four three aspect ratio. And, and for people that don't understand aspect ratios, it's basically that square box that we used to have on televisions before, you know, the cool 21st century TVs came out. And, you know, we, we got these giant rectangles. Um uh, it, I, the general thinking from what I was reading is that he did that because he wanted um, he wanted it to present well on an IMAX screen. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't know anybody that's watching this on an IMAX screen at least right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so anyway, so and it's a four hour movie, so I'm gonna have to watch a four hour movie in in four three. Um, and wow, it, it's good, but it's you know, not just, even in four it, three. It's in some other weird aspect ratio. I read something about it. Yeah, yeah, but, you're right. Um, it's it's the, no matter what you do, you're gonna have bars on the left and right side of your screen, and it just it really detracts, at least for for me. Huh. And I'm I'm sure other people probably Maybe feel that way too. Three. I don't know. Whatever. Wow. Anyways. Yeah. Crazy. So yeah. So ranting and raving. Um, and I watched another one. Have you guys ever seen the movie In Dreams? No. Like, no. Really old movie with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Annette Bening. Um, I, I had to check it out because part of it was actually filmed here on the island where I live. There's there's an old hotel called the Wentworth, um, and in that they used it in the movie, and it had been abandoned for like thirty or forty years, so it was it was completely fallen over when they filmed this there. Um, since then, it, it it was completely gutted and renovated by the guy who actually used to own my house. Like I bought the house from <laughs> his, his his widow, um, and they they've completely redone it. So I I walk by it every day, and I see the new one, but it was very odd to see you know the same hotel, but you know like all run down and falling apart in the movie. So if anybody gets a chance, check check out that movie. It's a terrible movie, but um, <laughs> the, the hotel is fun. Ringing endorsement. All yeah, right. ringing endorsement. This, this is what happens when I get locked in my house. Like I'm, I'm in my home theater. Like that's my only my only escape is to, to watch stuff. And I, I reached the end of Netflix about two weeks ago. So now I'm like you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel for whatever else I can find to eat up time in there. Right on. Right so on. Justice League and End Dreams. There are some recommendations. All right. Yeah. Well, that, that's well, a good six to, hours uh, right there. Yeah, I have to make a note to myself. I don't. Did you ever tell you about my cat, Church, when Your I was living church. up in Maine? No. I had a cat named Church. Oh, I thought you were talking a about truck. a cat like a church for cats. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Never mind. I'll, I'll schedule the interview with you and tell you about it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I know that story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So All right, we uh, should probably get into our topic here, right? Yeah, what do we got today, Zach? What are we talking about? Yeah, probably so, not Pet Cemetery. Probably yeah. not. <laughs> That was so late. So JD, I think <laughs> I, I think a great play. I think a, some great people to tell about your movie experiences would be your mailing list, right? Yeah. That'd be a great thing to send out to your mailing list. Tell them about in dreams. <laughs> so there's my late segue. No, we're today we're going to talk about uh, we we just we're going to have a general discussion on a mailing list because it's something that every author 
should have. If you don't, then hit pause right now and go sign up for one somewhere. Um, <laughs> but we're just going to have a general conversation, I think, about, you know, kind of the play, the role they play in our business, um, you know, how we use our mailing list and, and, and stuff like that. So um, I think uh, you know, it, it's fun. Mailing lists are funny because Jay and I make this joke, but it seems like every year people say, mailing lists are dead. Mailing lists are dead. Like no one checks their email. But like I think that especially with some of the stuff we've talked about here on the show happening with Facebook and stuff like that, like mailing lists are just becoming more important than ever possibly. Um, but uh, I think to open up, I'm kind of curious cause I, you know, I hear different answers uh, on this. Um, I'm kind of curious, like how, how do you guys use your mailing list? Like, do you, and, and when I say that, I mean, there's a lot of different opinions on that as far as like, do you, how often should you email people? What should you say? Should you just email them when you have a new release? Like, should you actually try to build up a relationship with readers through there? Um, you know, so like, I don't know, JD, do, how do you use yours? Do you, is it just for new releases or do you actually like try to tell people about yourself and use it as more of like a social thing or how, how do you use yours? Mine's honestly evolved. My my wife used to have a blog back when that was really popular, and, and she had, um, on average, I think it was a million-something a month visitors. I mean, it was a bigger one, and she was making a really decent income from the, the advertising stream on there. Um, and, and she built that up over time, but, you know, she posted about everything. I mean, she was had a blog post out there every single day, you know, a couple thousand words, a couple thousand words, and I kept telling her, you know, like, you could write a book <laughs> and, and get it done. Um, so when I started my, you know, I had Forsaken coming out, you know, and I was in that awkward place that all authors are at the very beginning where I've got a book coming out. I've got nobody on the mailing list. Nobody knows who I am. So how do I get people there? Um, so I actually started advertising the book on first on her blog because that was free, at least for me. Um, and then on other blogs. Um, and I just had a little you know graphic off in the, the bar um, that allowed people to, to click on it and it took them to a book description and I grabbed their, their email address and I, I kind of started off that way. Um, at the same time, I started doing similar blog posts um, on, on mine. And I actually had a whole series that I wrote from a dog's point of view. Um, we, we used to have a little dash hound called Toast. Um, is he looked like a piece of burnt toast. Like he was black and brown. Um, and he just, for whatever reason, there, he had a personality that just really struck me. So I used to write, you know, just random day posts of observations of the world from his point of view. Um, and that actually took off quite a bit. And I, I got a lot of following just based on that and got a lot of email addresses. So by the time I dropped Forsaken, I, I think it had somewhere around 1,100 people on my mailing list, which isn't, you know, too bad for, for initial release. Um, but, you know, that was all so extremely time consuming, um, you know, and I wanted to spend time just writing books. So I, at this point, all I do is I, I put out a blog post for a pre-order, um, another one when something gets released, and then anytime I have any kind of major news event. So if I get a, an option, you know, from a film or TV studio, things along those lines, I'll, I'll kick something out. Um, but otherwise, I, I try not to get in front of anybody, you know, too often anymore. Um, and a lot of that stems from, like, I, I get really pissed when things show up in my inbox that I don't really want. Um, you know, if I hear from the same authors two or three times in a week, like to me, that's frustrating. I'll, I'll click on, you know, the spam link just to get them out of there or I'll unsubscribe, you know, if they, they hit up too often. Um, so I, I've kind of dialed it back to the point where it's just, you know, to me, necessary information to get out there. It's the stuff I would want to see from the authors that I follow. And in all honesty, like I modeled it after Dean Koontz, you know, like I saw him you know, posting for just those things. And, you know, he's obviously got a pretty good handle on how this all works. So I started following that, that same model. Um, so so you don't have necessarily like a schedule just when you have news about something you just send it out yeah exactly okay cool yeah but you you have enough going on where you're still probably staying pretty consistent and not 
you know, having three months between emails or something like that, I would imagine. So yeah, there, there's always some kind of message going on. I mean, even like this Patterson thing that I just mentioned, I'll probably kick out a message, you know, related to that just to, to get it out there. Um, yeah, I try to stay in front of people as much as I can, but I mean, you have to have something worthwhile to say. I think that's what it really comes down to. If, if, if you're, if you're forcing yourself to put a message together to get it out there, then chances are that that forced message isn't going to be well received on the other end. Yeah, you're, you're the same as me. I, I usually just put out stuff whenever I have something like a new release or, um, you know, I want to tell somebody maybe about a cool book or like, you know, update them on a project I've come up or something like that. But I know Jay is different than both of us because Jay is on a schedule. I know he I mean, you are like the first and third Friday every month is when your newsletters go out and you really don't send anything outside of that. and You never miss those dates. So, I mean, you want to talk about that a little bit and kind of your reasoning behind that? Well, yeah. First, I'll say that um, we're talking about fiction right now. Nonfiction is completely different. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. a very that's a very and good point. Yeah. If 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 we have bandwidth or time, and we want to come back to that, I'll certainly will because I, I run both a fiction and a nonfiction list. No, I think we should because I think it's important. Yeah, as far as fiction goes, yeah, I don't disagree with you guys necessarily. I, there, but there are two variables. Or there are two things that I I really think about, and and I tell other authors when they're asking for help with this. The first one is. Email list expectations are heavily genre dependent. Yeah. Uh, like for Zach and I, we we found out the hard way that post-apoc dystopian readers don't really want to interact with authors. They they want to read those books in their bunker um, and and not not be bothered, right? Whereas like paranormal romance, like you can't email romance readers enough. Like they they almost want to be you know they want a, a window into your life. They want to friend you on social media. Like there's so so it's very genre dependent. The second thing I think is really important is the expectation you as the author set when someone joins. So if, if someone joins and, and you either don't set expectations um, or you're not clear, you're going to have problems no matter what. So when someone joins my list, I tell them, you're going to get two emails a month from me. Now, if I send them seven, then I'm, I'm going to piss them off, rightly so. And if I don't send them any for three months... I'm also not upholding that that the expectation that I made. So I don't I, because I think a lot of us we filter this through our own experience and what we like as consumers, which is not always the same as what our readers are, or our our fans like. So for me, it always comes back to like what are the genre expectations generally, and then what what are the expectations I set up as the author, and am I holding to those? For sure. Yeah. And like with mine, you know, I tell it's the same thing. So because I totally agree with you. I think it's really important to set those expectations and to let people and to stick to that. So like I tell my readers, you know, I'm going to let you know when I have something new coming out or some really cool news or something. So and that's what I do. And I don't typically email them other than that, you know, because, um, you know, I, I like the idea of of what you do. I, I just for me. And, and it probably when I really got down and think of it, I don't think this would be the case, but I kind of, th- I kind of feel worried that, um, and, and I know you're, I mean, like, let's just say I was going to go off what you said and do two me- emails a month, which is what you do. That's not what you're saying. Everyone should do, right? you know, but, um, but, but I do kind of worry about if I set that expectation, I would fall into the trap JD was saying where I end up having to just kind of like come up with something because I owe people an email on a certain day or something. You know, um, but that would obviously I could adjust my expectations based on that. Um, I don't know. But uh, but I I think that that's that's a really good thing. Do you want to 
Like, I, I guess while we're here, because I, I have another thing I want to talk about. Like, do you want to talk about nonfiction for a second? Well, um, I know you don't, Zach. JD, do you have any? Do you have a nonfiction list? No. Um, I mean, I've got a nonfiction book in the works, um, but I, 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 I used to have a, I, at least a dozen different mailing lists. I had a list for everything, you know, like each, each individual book had a list. I had another one for media contacts. I had another one for this, another one for that. I ended up combining a lot of those um, in, in cleaning house, particularly after I did the whole, you know, free book in exchange for giving me your email address, you know, thing for a while. And, and stuff like that. Um, I, I think, you know, like you guys just mentioned, like I, I, I do, I structure mine based on what I like and what I don't like. Um, and, and like you just said that, you know, for better or worse, you know, like the, what I like is obviously not the same as what somebody else would like. Um, I used to subscribe to a ton of, of email lists on, you know, on just on topic. Like one of the very early ones was a, a horror list that came out every Thursday by a, name, a woman named Paula Garan. Um, that's how I initially met uh, Jack Ketchum and you know, who put me in touch with Stephen King and those guys, you know, way back in the day, like in the early 90s. Um, I used to read that, you know, like it would come in my inbox, I'd get excited about it. You know, I would read it from, you know, top to bottom and, and move on. Um, you know, Hugh Howie had a list for a while there that, you know, I, I tend to follow his blog. Um, but I just, I don't have the time in the day anymore to, to, to process that kind of information. Um, a lot of the information I used to get from those lists, I now get from podcasts because I can listen to a podcast while I'm out on my run. You know, I can, I can multitask a little bit instead of having to park in front of my phone or in front of my computer. So I think I'm kind of adapting to it too. Um, so a lot of, if, if, if a couple of years ago, if you would have asked me if I thought it was worthwhile to do, you know, X, you know, unless I, I was actually a consumer of X, then I, I probably wouldn't even consider it. Um, and right now it's just, I've totally streamlined it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's an important thing to think about if you're an author, if you're writing just fiction and only fiction and fiction forever, then, you know, there's no, there's no need to, to overcomplicate things. I think where it gets interesting is, and I don't think JD, I don't think you're in this position. I mean, I know you're writing a nonfiction book, but I don't, uh, I could be wrong. I don't see you, you know, building out like an author services platform or anything like that. But I think if you're if you're looking to sort of create a business um, around uh, some nonfiction title, then uh, then that nonfiction list is really important, and it's a whole different set of rules. And and I don't I don't think it's worth getting into that now here in this conversation. But uh, you know the, the the nonfiction audience is completely different because you know they they usually have a pain that needs solved, and they're 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 much more willing to interact. They want more. They're gonna um, they're gonna they're gonna purchase more um, because they're trying to solve a problem, and which is which is completely different than fiction, where it, which is primarily entertainment. So I think if um you know if you're writing any book that's nonfiction and you're planning on having any type of service or services related to that, then a nonfiction list separate from your fiction list is probably really important. Well, any one of those things could be a lead magnet, right? Like if you've got right. a nonfiction book on craft. You know, you could take the first couple paragraphs on how to query an agent and you could kick that out to a, a newsletter um, with a link back to the book. And you could do that again, you know, a week later for the next chapter and the next chapter and the next chapter. And you could keep going. So it, it, you can utilize it that way where that just doesn't work for a fiction book. You know, right. you can't, you know so it's a, it's a totally different market. Yeah. So I think the big takeaway is that the fiction and nonfiction lists are very different beasts and, and needed to be treated differently. They're, they're, there's very little about them that's the same, in my opinion. Yeah, and funny like the and Jay, I think you're like this too. The mail, the the newsletters that I do open most often are nonfiction authors, <laughs> you know, and stuff that you know. Uh, the the three biggest ones for me are Cal Newport, uh, James Clear, and 
um, Ryan Holiday. Like I, I love the stuff that those guys do, and they've set up really, really good expectations. You know, it's bit like James Clear does his Thursday email. It's called like the three two one email. I open that every Thursday, and because I always get something valuable out of it. Um, so it, it is definitely a different a different set of rules and expectations for the for the receivers. So. Yeah, well, it's all about knowing your audience, right? You're you're an Absolutely. author, so you're looking to other authors that can teach you something. Um, you know, the normal, normal readers aren't looking for that. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And and something something else. And JD, you kind of you kind of started to talk about this to answer your first question. But um, you know, something I that we get asked about a lot, and and I get at, this inevitably comes up every time I tell people that I tell other authors that I'm not that I don't engage in social media and I'm not on there is one of the first things that comes up is like, well, how are you getting people on your mailing list? Like, how are you finding people? How are you building your list? So I'm, I'm curious, like, what are you guys doing, um, and, you know, these days to, to get people on your mailing list? Because it is true, like, we all start from zero. And that is daunting, you know, when, when you're starting out and you don't have anyone on your list. And, you, you know, but like, how, um, what have you guys done to build your list? Or, or what are some things that are, you know, you're doing now? Jay, I'll, I'll start with you. <laughs> Uh, I wish and let's you focus have. on fiction. We can focus <laughs> on fiction because, again, I know that's two. It's two different things. It is, and I'm terrible at building my fiction list. I, I've uh, I'm I've not been good at it. Uh, even even to this day, I still struggle to build that list. I mean, I've I've made. I, I'm not, not going to call them mistakes because it's just learning. But like I early on, when I say early on, I'm talking like you know 2012, 2013. I did a lot of cross promotions and like giveaways, and you know I built a list. I built. I had a list of, of 10,000 readers at one point and uh, you know, the engagement was terrible. Like yeah. the open rate was terrible because they just weren't quality subscribers. And, uh, and, and like you, Zach, I'm not very active on social media at all. And what little I do is for my nonfiction stuff. Yeah. So I don't have any really any, any easy way. We, I don't run paid ads to, to a mailing list. So my, my mailing list is, is kind of stagnant for fiction. And it's, it's something I know I have to address. It's something I have to get better at. I, I have to sort of re-engage or rebuild that in some way. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to do that, but I know I, know it's, I have to. So I, I'm kind of punting on that just because I'm, I'm not really a good example. <laughs> well, unfortunately, my example doesn't work anymore. <laughs> um, I used to do this thing where there was, I forget what the name of the app was, but there was a Twitter app where you could follow the followers of other people. Um, so I could load up, when I first came out with Forsaken, I could load up Stephen King's Twitter followers and I could follow those people. Um, so what I would do is I would follow them and then I created an autoresponder that would automatically hit them up when, when they followed me. Because on Twitter back in the day, if you followed somebody, a good percentage of those people would follow you back. Um, so my autoresponder uh, led them to a page on my website, um, which is still up there. And it was, would you like to be a character in my next book? If yes, go ahead and fill out you know this information. And they would, they would follow me on Facebook. Facebook, they would follow me on Instagram, like I had links for BookBub, all those different things in there, and I would collect their email address. Um, and at the very bottom, when they submitted it, it gave them the ability to share it with their followers. So if they wanted to tell their followers, hey, you can be in a J.D. Barker book, you know, they would click on that link, and 99% of those people did. So it was like this self-perpetual machine where you know, they, they, my followers were basically telling their followers to follow me, and they were all fans of authors that wrote stuff similar to what I write. Um, so that worked really well. That got me up to, I, I think I've got like 80 or 90,000 followers on Twitter and a big chunk of them came from that. But all that stuff got shut down when Twitter, they, they closed out their API to, to outside sources. 
Um, I don't know how I would have started back, you know, like without that, because um, it's such a difficult thing to do. And, and now I'm in a very different environment altogether because you know, my books are kind of everywhere. So like my followers come from those books. You know, I just had, to, you know, my release with Patterson just came out in Spain. Um, you know, so like I've got all these people following me from, you know, the, the Spanish speaking territories. You know, they, they see the, you know, and, and again, it's it's self-perpetually you know, like the, you know, I just did a bunch of interviews. So I, you know, I did television, I did newspaper, things like that. Um, all those institutions and those reporters, they post on social media that gets shared with different people. Um, and that tends to lead back on, on my website. I, I try to, I don't like to be in your face when it comes to signing up for my newsletter. There, I get very frustrated when I go to an author's website and a box pops up and blocks me from doing anything else and said, Hey, sign my, you know, join my newsletter and, or you can click on the little X if you can find it to get out of there. Um, so I, I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I've got, there's a, you know, a link down at the corner of my homepage where you can sign up for the mailing list if you want to. Um, and people find it. I mean, I get anywhere from five to 10 new people every day without really, you know, going out there and aggressively doing anything. When I did try to aggressively, you know, collect followers, um, I, I did, you know, that, that the free book promotion. So I gave away copies of Forsaken in exchange for an email address. Um, and I did that through a, a, you know, I completely automated the whole system through book funnel, um, you know, which is pretty easy to do. Uh, and I got my list up to close to 50,000 people. But like you were just saying, you know, like most of those were, you know, they were worthless. They weren't people yeah, that were willing to, to pull. Yeah, they're perfectly fine taking a free book if I wanted to put another book out there for free. But, you know, when it came to buying one, it just wasn't worthwhile. And that got expensive. You know, when you're kicking out a message on, you know, MailChimp or any of these services to 50,000 people, it gets pricey. Um, so I started cleaning up the list and, you know, I'm sure I ended up dropping a lot of people that I probably shouldn't have, but I, I whittled it down to about 11,000. I think that's what I've got on there now. Wow. Um, but my open rate is high. My open rate is anywhere from 40 to 60% per message. So I know I've got you know, a decent you know, base now. Um, so, you know, aside from that, like I don't aggressively try to build the list anymore, but I, I can tell you that my email list is still the most effective you know, method I have of getting word out when I've got a, you know, when I put a pre-release message out there, I, I see those numbers, you know, skyrocket. I know it works, um, versus putting an ad, you know, I've got ads running on TikTok right now. I'm, I'm literally just throwing money at TikTok and I've got no clue whether it's affecting sales or not. Um, or the television advertising I'm doing, it's the same thing. I'm just throwing money at these things, hoping that it's working, but it's not a measurable return. I can't really tell. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I'm, I've been fortunate to where I've been pretty smart with my list the whole time I've had it. So I've never, I've never done like the free book promotions, like where you would go and just, um, um, you know, like Jay mentioned, like, you know, you can do these things where, you know, people go to a landing page and they just download a bunch of free books and you get a mailing list, um, or you get, you get their emails and then it upon your list. Like I've never done any of that stuff. I've built my list strictly organically. So, um, the majority of mine has come through just a CTA in the back of my book where, you know, once people are done reading my book, um, it asks them to sign to my mailing list. Usually if it's a first in series, I offer them the second book for free. Um, and I've, I'm, I'm very adamant about something that Jay actually taught me, which is one thing. So like I only have one CTA in the back of my book. I'm not like, Hey, uh, sign up for my mailing list. Follow me on this, uh, review my book, go buy this book. Like I, it's one, because as, as Jay could tell you, you know, that you get diminishing returns, the more of those you do. And a lot of times people just get overwhelmed and won't do any of them. So I, my main goal is I want people to get on my list. So I, I try to get them on my list. Um, you know, doing mailing list swaps with authors. So like going to authors in my, 
in my genre and, you know, promoting each other's books. I've gotten a lot of stuff that way, but most of mine has just come through um, people reading my books and, uh, and signing up. And those are the people I want, you know? Um, and, and so I've been, I've been very fortunate in that and um, kind of related to that, JD, do you, this is kind of a twofold question. Do you, for one, do you do the CTAs in the back of your book, like where you get people on your list? And do you get to do that for your traditional books? Uh, I, I do. Um, and on the traditional ones, a lot of times it's what goes in that section isn't necessarily up to me and it changes. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes it's not even my own book. You know, like when you've got books with Random House, sometimes they'll throw in another author in, in the back there. So you don't really have a whole lot of control over that. Um, one of the things I did learn is you've got to be very careful with your formatting on that because if, if it's not formatted correctly, uh, Kindle readers will think that like you reach the end of the book before you actually get to that, that call to action page. Um, where it'll throw that, you know, you've completed this book, you know, do you want to review it on Goodreads, that automated screen that comes up, like that'll come up before you actually get to the CTA if you don't you properly organize your book, um, which is something I learned the hard way with um, Six Wicked Child. I, I paid somebody to format that, and I, I learned, you know, a year and a half in that, you know, people were getting that Goodreads screen before they actually got to the call to the action in the back. Um, I, I tend to put um, a, 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 like a first couple chapters, if, if I can, of, of a different book in there um, to try and hook them, you know, give them a couple, you know, basically just a taste of another novel. Uh, and I do that mainly because I, I'm writing a lot of standalone books. That's an easy way to, to grab them. Um, so I, I try to do that as much as possible. But, you know, a lot of times it's, it's totally out of my control. But when I can control it, I'm, I'm all over that. Um, you brought up a very valid point, and I, I see, um, you know, as far as clutter, um, that's what I call it. A lot of times when I, when I visit an author's website, um, I see tons of that. You go to their homepage, and they've got this video that they did on YouTube in one corner. They've got, you know, their book listed right next to it. They've got their mailing list next to that, and they've got this going on and that going on. And it's, like, it's like staring at 10 different billboards all at once, and you get shocked. Like, you don't know what to do. Um, people need a very simple path, you know, like every, you know, to, to buy a book, like it should always be like within three clicks, you know, like keep it as quick and as, as efficient as possible, um, without any distractions. So figure out what your message is and, and make sure that message is really clear, whether it's in the back of the book on a website or even your, your social media accounts. I think too, you know, to kind of push back on one thing you said, JD too, I think that, um, you also need to be careful about instituting too much of your own habits into it because, like I know you said you 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 hate those boxes that pop up on people's websites and I hate them too but I think Jay you actually they work like uh, I, I think Jay you're the one I heard that from that they have like a really high success rate yeah everyone um, hates those pop-up boxes and yet they convert it like some ungodly number like 27 percent or something yeah. hmm. so it's 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 a weird thing where you know you have to be really careful about thinking about your own habits too much and actually, uh, that's why I just go to Jay because Jay's actually done a lot of research on this stuff, you know. But um, but but yeah. So it's uh, it's it's an interesting thing though because I don't those things are annoying to me too. So and that's just one example of something. Yeah, no, like I, that. I get it. I mean, I, there's there's plenty that I've, I've I'll fill out just to get that box to go away, which is why it it works. You know, it's, it, <laughs> it, annoys, it annoys the hell out of you until you you deal with it. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those things. I, I know it probably makes more sense to have it up there and, and put it up there, but I just, I wouldn't want to see it myself. So I just don't do it. I, I know that we're kind of run up on time, but I'd be rem like, Jay, do you still have the one on your website where you have to give your email address to even look at your website? Sort of. I softened <laughs> it a little bit. It, 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 I, it, for a long time I had a traditional squeeze page. And so all you, the only option you had was sign up for my list or not. 
Um, I, I've since softened that a little bit. I think I have a, a little bit of a bio, kind of a contact form towards the bottom. But, I, you know, this, this is related but not on topic. Um, and I think you guys are in the same camp as I am on this. Like I, an author website isn't really all that important. No. Like the only thing I think it really needs to do is get people on your list. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, maybe some minimal stuff like, but like, like there's, there's Wikipedia and there's Amazon and like there are other ways that people can find out about you. Um, I, I think too many authors spend way too much time and money on their website uh, when, when really all it needs to do is just get an email address for you. Yeah. Or if you have some kind of, I think if you have some kind of, and I, you see this in fancy a lot, uh, uh, you know, it, it's good if people want to figure out like a reading order for series. If you have some crazy series going on, you know, it, that can be good. But other than that, I'm kind of with you. Like for me, it's just, you know, I have my books up there where people can find my books if they want, you know, come there. But for me, it's mostly just to get people on a mailing list. Yeah. Both of you guys have a very, have a very basic website. Like you're, because I just don't want to put a bunch of time into it, like you're yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't think need. it's a very, you know, very good way to spend my time. Yeah. Personally, yeah, it's it's one of those things where you have to have a presence. You know, it's it's your own yeah. personal storefront. It's it's good to have that out there. But yeah, I mean, there other things that are more important. I mean, we could spend an entire show, and maybe some point we should on Wikipedia, because um, that that's huge. You know, like every interview yeah. I do, I that's the first thing that I know these reporters are looking at. They're reading my Wikipedia page everywhere in the world. Like that's the first their go to. Um, and you, you can control that message to a certain extent. Um, it's, it's a weird dynamic because you're not allowed, like Wikipedia doesn't allow you to create your own page. Right. Um, yeah. Somebody else has to do it for you, but, um, it's definitely a worthwhile endeavor. I'm going to go make the J Thorne Wikipedia page. Of I'll make the Zach Bohannon Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that sounds like, that sounds like a good place to wrap up unless you guys have anything else to add. No. No, right. I think that's, I, I hear uh, crickets. <laughs> yeah, Jay. Well, Jay, I'll turn it over to you to close us out then. Yeah. Uh, next week we have Andrew Peterson coming on the show. Uh, interesting guy, uh, author of the Wing Feather Saga, and Zach. He is a Nashville musician. Oh, interesting. So uh, okay. maybe, do you know him? Have you run into him at all? I have not. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> maybe now though. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, uh, he'll be on to talk about. Uh, all things books and music, which is stuff we all like. So that should be fun. Nice. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to it. All right. To our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.